So we are gathering, this is a Memorial Day weekend, this is also a Trinity Sunday in the life of the church, and I suspect most of you are kind of going, Trinity Sunday, woohoo, <laughs> right, am I wrong? I mean, you know, have you, ever, have you ever kind of thought about, I mean, most of us grow up with this whole, this language about the Trinity, and, and I, when I was young, especially, and people would talk about the Holy Trinity, you know, God, three in one. Maybe you didn't do this, but this was kind of what I went to, right? Right? I mean, three in one oil? What, man? It lubricates, it cleans, it polishes, right? I mean, this is, this is so, uh, and that's really actually the way a lot of us think about the Trinity, right? It's a God as having, God having three different functions, right? The, the, the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer. In fact, some of our prayers use that language, which is a little deceptive, uh, because that really isn't the concept of the Trinity of God just in three different functions. Uh, it really is much more complex with that. And as I, as I grew up and kind of wrestled with this and got into seminary, uh, I began to understand why this is one of those things that most people just kind of fly by. Because <laughs> you know, it's really hard to get your head around this. And, and in fact, it, it's such a complicated thing that the church has struggled with this. And, and, and in the history of uh, religion in the world, uh, it, it's a very highly debated kind of concept of the Trinity. In fact, uh, in the Quran, uh, in uh, Surah 4, if I can bring that up, uh, it says, Say not, Trinity, desist, it will be better for you, for God is one God. Glory be to him, for exalted is he above having a son. Uh, this kind of resistance, this pushing back on the whole concept of Trinity. So I've, I've wrestled with this all my life, and, I, and I've come up with different ways of talking about it, you know, and different kind of things, and have been told frequently that I'm a heretic about some of those things uh, by some of my colleagues. And, and uh, it's really only been in the last couple of years that I've, I've begun to, to get a little different picture of it. And one of the things that's helped me a lot has been a book that's called Delighting in the Trinity. It's by a guy named Michael Reeves, who is a, a scholar at Oxford in England. Uh, and this is probably the first time in reading that, that it, all of a sudden it hit me that, you know, th there, there actually is, this is an important thing for us to get a hold of, that there's actually a reason that this is such a big deal, uh, and, and that it's important for us to grasp it properly. So I want to spend some time with that this morning on this rather, uh, what seems to a lot of us, arcane uh, kind of topic, but I also want you to hear that this, this really, there's, there's something really important here that we need to get a hold of to comprehend, to understand the nature of God. So I'm going to ask you to join with me in prayer. Almighty Father, we, we just ask that you to be with us this morning as we are struggling to get our minds around this uh, and ask that you open us up so that we can see what is important and, and the power of this. So uh, just come and enlighten us. Uh, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, now in church history, what you'll find with this stuff is uh, people will make these arguments. Uh, you know, the concept of the Trinity came along much later. It wasn't really in Scripture, blah, blah, blah. There are all those kind of things. And uh, it, it's really interesting as you actually dig into material to find out how much of our theology was defined early in the life of the church. Um, uh, there's a gentleman over in Houston at a church called The Stories. His name's Eric Huffman. And one of his, um, I don't know, crucial stories is going to the Holy Land for the first time. And he's, he's in uh, Capernaum. And, and they're at you know, the home where, where Peter and his family were and, and the church started. And, and, there, and there are words, if you will, carved into some of the stone places. 
uh, of course, in, in their language, but, but for us saying, you know, Jesus, Son of God, you know, Jesus Christ, I mean, the, the crucified one, those kinds of things, and, and realizing as he does this that the archaeologist there is telling him, you know these came from like five or ten years after Jesus was crucified. And, and it hit him that, okay, so what that means is the people that knew him best, the people that watched him grow up, the people that had known him for years, the people that traveled with him all through Israel, that, that almost immediately this idea of, of Jesus the Christ, Jesus the divine son of God, almost immediately that was something they were saying. It wasn't something the church developed later on. And when you read in Scripture some of the, the earlier uh, passages of Scripture, uh, you see some of this kind of uh, uh, pictures coming together, uh, some of these pieces uh, Matthew 28, 16 to 20, this is a very familiar passage, the Great Commission. Uh, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this wonderful word of reassurance, I'm with you always to the end of the age. But you notice that, that even, even at this early phase, the baptism formula, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that's being recorded. Uh, this is just, you know, within the first decades of the life of the faith, of the Christian faith. And if you go back and you, you read Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the water. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So now we have God the Father, the Creator. We have the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And then you go over to John's Gospel where we're told in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, now we have the Son and the Father being placed in the beginning at the story of creation. So at the very beginning, when everything is formed and brought to life, brought into being, you, you have the Father and, and you have the Son and you have the Holy Spirit present. So it's not something that someone eons later would think up now they're going to struggle with it but but you hear that language comes early 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 in scripture uh, and begins to appear and and jesus himself uh, at the end of his uh, john's gospel i have much more to say to you more than you can bear can now bear but when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth he will not speak on his own he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. If you get that, Jesus is going to make known to the Spirit what the Spirit reveals to us. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So, so even here in this language when Jesus is speaking, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this, this comes early. I mean, this is, this is early, early, early in the very earliest phases of the life of the church. This concept of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are circulating. And, and people are trying to figure out, what do you do with that, right? Because what is, what's the Shema out of the Old Testament? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. So, so wait a minute, but we have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we're back to that. We're, we're, we're back to the three-in-one oil, right? We're three-in-one. We're, we're trying to figure that out. At early uh, church um, uh, tried to find ways to represent this when they talked about it. And so an early symbol, you have the, the three interlocking kind of fish here. 
that are the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then the, the green circle that reminds us that they are one. And so you have this symbol. Uh, there's a stained glass window, which is very popular. Uh, and as you look at this now, that center, Deus, that, that, that's God, right? And up at the top, you have Father. And then over on the right, you have Holy Spirit. And over on the, the left, that, that bottom left corner there, you have the Son. And so you have God is Father, God is Holy Spirit, God is Son. But between each of them, that non-est, the Son is not the Father, is not the Spirit, is not the Son. So you have this, this kind of representation, if you will, of the theology of the Trinity uh, put in a window to help people uh, remember this and keep a hold of it. And, and this is what I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet that most of them really didn't get it. Okay? So, so let's be honest now for a minute. If I talk about, okay, we have three persons in one. They're, they're all one. They're all God. But you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're not the same. Does that make sense to you? Really? Are you like me? The first time I heard it, it's like, okay, this sounds like multiple personality disorders. Please don't strike me down. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a hard thing to get your head around. And, and one of the ways I've thought about it over the years is that uh, in terms of, of relationships, um, I, I am related to people in different kinds of ways. You know, there, there's me as I understand myself, but I promise you, if you talk to my daughter, you would get one version of who I am. If you talk to my wife, you would get another version of who I am. If you talk to Thomas over here, you'd probably get a different version of who I am. And, I mean, so different people are going to experience me in different ways because I relate to them in different ways. But even that's not exactly what this means. This idea of three persons in one. The, the church struggled with this, and they, uh, they wrote creeds out of the early church to try to kind of get a handle on this as they struggled with trying to explain it. The earliest is the Apostles' Creed, and although it was never formally adopted as such, it is the oldest of the creeds, trying to make sense out of it. And if you've never noticed, it's kind of organized that way, right? I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Next, you have maybe. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. And those of you who've been around for a while, you'll remember the language, the quick and the dead, right? That, it's, it's not a reference to speed. Quick means living. So just, it's, it's an archaic use of the language. Uh, and then the last bit, you know, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, Catholic meaning universal, not Roman Catholic. Uh, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen. So you have it organized around the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So early in the life of the church, they were going, this is important. This is important. This is important enough that we're, we're going to build this creed around this and, and, and try to help people get a handle on it. The next creed that the church actually formally adopts after this is the Nicene Creed. This is the first formally adopted creed of the Christian church. Um, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Got to find where I'm at here. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. Eternally. You hear that? He wasn't made by God, but he, he issues from God, but eternally connected with God. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. 
Now, you hear they're already trying to help you get this, right? You know, he's not really, it's not like he was created by God. He's, he's always been there with God. He's of the same Godness, the same lightness. He's eternally present with him, and through him all things were made. And, and for us in our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit, became incarnate from the Virgin Mary, was made man. Yes, please. You know, some days it just doesn't like me. There it is. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, suffered death, was buried. The third day he rose again in accordance with the scripture, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. You hear it, it's kind of an elaboration, if you will, on the Apostles' Creed. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will have no end. And then we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son with the Father and the Son. He is worshiped and glorified. He's spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the death and the life of the world to come. Amen. So do you have, again, this kind of structure, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you notice the emphasis on the, the fact that they're all co-eternal. Uh, these three persons have always existed together. Now, now this moves into a creed that's called the Athanasian Creed. This creed is so long, I'm actually not going to read the whole thing to you because we, we just don't have that much time. Um, but I want you to hear the, the language of some of it. Uh, and I want you to hear, at this point, they're really wrestling, by this point in the life of the church, they're wrestling with the concept of the Trinity, and people are arguing with the concept and saying, this is not necessary, we don't need to have this, uh, you know, we really need to, to just go to kind of a monistic kind of a, a view, you know, there's just one God, you know, and we, and we get rid of this Trinity stuff and all that. So, so this creed is actually not written by Athanasius probably, but it was attributed to him. And, and, and listen to the language of it. Whosoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith, which faith except everyone do keep whole and undefiled without doubt, he shall perish everlastingly. Ouch. That's pretty tough, isn't it? I mean, you, you, I mean, you can kind of hear that this has now become a major, a major issue. As, and the Catholic faith is this. Here we go. That we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there's one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Ghost is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal, such as the Father is, such is the Son, such is the Holy Ghost. Okay. So the fact that they had to write something along this line tells you something about how we wrestle with this, right? I mean, you're hearing they're, they're really kind of trying to hammer this home and these concepts home. Now they're, they're going to come into this. They're going to keep going, right? The Father uncreate. The Son uncreate. The Holy Ghost uncreate. They've always been there together. The Father incomprehensible. The Son incomprehensible. And the Holy Ghost incomprehensible. The Father eternal. The Son eternal. And the Holy Ghost eternal. Now the fact that they're going to say in here that all of this is incomprehensible tells us what? It's incomprehensible. I mean, is it really, they're just basically telling you, you're not going to be able to really make sense out of this. That's just, this is, I mean, they're being really, they're just, here you go. They're laying it out for you. And, and yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal. <laughs> also, there are not three incomprehensibles, nor three uncreated, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. And I'm, at this point, the first time I read across this, I'm going, okay, 
at least you're honest enough to admit we don't know what we're talking about. We, right? I mean, you're trying to get your head around this and trying to understand it. And, and, and they're telling you right here, you're not going to understand this in your normal sense of thinking. So, so I, want, I want you to stop for a minute and hear, hear what our brothers and sisters were telling us. All of our schemes and explanations by which we try to make the Trinity simple to understand are inadequate. They're all inadequate. And if you think it is absolutely a requirement that you understand this in order for you, you know, you have to understand it to really have faith in God. And, and one of the conditions for your believing in God and having faith in God is that you can make sense out of all of it. Is that not the height of arrogance? That you think you're smart enough to understand all there is to God? I mean, let's be honest here. Who do we think we are? We don't even have an adequate theory that explains gravity, truthfully. And yet we think we're supposed to be able to explain God, the creator of all that is. The one good thing about this creed is it pushes us to the point of saying, you know what, sometimes you're just going to have to accept that this is the way it is, even if it doesn't all fall in nice, neat places for you. Especially in our day and age where we are so technologically minded, where we want to manipulate everything for our purposes, this is a challenging concept. This is hard to get a hold of. Now, the creed is going to continue and talk about the three, not three almighties, but one almighty is going to continue through this. And, and all these slides, incidentally, uh, I'm putting up here so that you can go back and look at these online uh, so you can see uh, the whole text of this thing. But you can see they're, they're going to go on now. They're going to keep talking about they're, they're not three, but one, but they are three. And, and, and it's going to continue through this language as it goes down to, to talk. I mean, it just keeps saying, they're not three gods, there's not three lords, you know. I mean, they're all, but they're all co-eternal and created and, and held together. Uh, no, nobody created nobody. It, 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 they've always been there. Um, it, it just keeps moving through all of this as it talks about this whole thing. And the language is repetitive to some extent as you move through this creed about trying to remind people there's, there's three persons, but they're one, and, and they've always been that way, and they've always been together in this unity of the three. It moves further. And listen, it's necessary to everlasting sal salvation that you believe rightly in, in the incarnation. And I mean, he's, they're going through laying out here the things that are the bedrock substance of the Christian faith as the, as, uh, the church understood it. These are the things that you have to hold to. Uh, and, and now it's talking again, you know, going back from the Father to the Son and, and to the Holy Spirit. So it moves through this, uh, and it just it moves through all this, reminding us over and over and over and over and over again about the importance of this concept that really we can't really comprehend. And at the end, it says, this is the Catholic faith, which except a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved. Wow. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but the, the first time I ran across it, that messed with me. You know, you're, you're telling me I have to believe in something that I cannot actually grasp. 
and I can't get my head around. And so I thought about the fact that, you know, really, in, in all honesty, I, 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 I don't really understand God. I mean, I'm not supposed to understand God, am I? I'm a creation of God. I'm, I'm not the creator. I'm not the mind in the beginning. All I can understand about God is what God chooses to share with me, what God chooses to reveal to me. And sometimes that is going to be outside of what falls into nice, neat categories in my brain. Remember, I started off in engineering. I've got a minor in mathematics. I like it all to add up and be neat and clean. And God just doesn't do that. In the last 10 years, if you're not aware of it, there's been a huge revolution, uh, revolution uh, uh, occurring in, in the whole understanding of, of, of the universe that we live in. As we have these new uh, satellites and uh, new telescopes and new ways of looking at things. And, and there's all kinds of new theories coming out now about all uh, of the universe around us. And, and as they've talked through that and as they're exploring that, they keep proposing different kinds of theories. And, and a lot of the stuff that we all thought we understood is now being re-explored. They, they, the, the theory of relativity is even being called into question. The whole concept of the way we understand the universe we live in. And, and if we can't understand the creation in which we live, then I'm not sure it's possible for us to really neatly understand the one who's on the other side of that that is the creator of all. And so I had to come to peace with the fact that, you know what, sometimes <laughs> this God's bigger than me and, and I'm just not going to, you know, I, I'm just going to have to accept some things. I'm just going to have to say, okay. I don't get it, but okay. I have been married almost 42 years now, so, you know, I mean, I've got some practice in this with a, with a person, but, you know, with God, it's, it's, it's a struggle. There's this mystery of the Trinity where you have three persons who nonetheless are one and always have been one. The delightful thing that Reeves brings out in this book is the idea of, of, of thinking about this, the, this communion of three that is one and this love relationship that binds them together. And so he suggests that when you think about it, instead of getting hung up on the mechanics of it, which is where we tend to get hung up, he says, think about it in terms of, of the mystery of it that maybe we're not going to understand exactly how all those functions come together, but the communion of, of the three, the love that the three of them share for one another. The Father loves the Son, loves the Spirit, loves the Father. And how that becomes the defining characteristic of God, right? We say, and John tells us, you know, God is love, right? Love requires a relationship. You know, you can admire an object. You can lust after an object. You can long for an object. But true love is always in a relationship. And the trinity of God, that, that concept is what defines God as love in the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's out of that relationship, out of that love that defines who God is in this communion that everything we experience in God flows. Back early in the year, 
I was showing you some interviews with David Thomas uh, as we were doing the Awakening series. I want to take you back to a, a section of this where, where he talks some about being invited into this communion. Talk to people about, like, how might they overcome their apprehensions and their fears and open themselves up to be filled by the Holy Spirit? Mm -hmm. Because the, 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 there's nothing more critical than this. It is, this is absolutely so crucial. I, I agree. I, I think we would hope this course could be an encouragement to people to, um, to try to dismantle or, or willfully kind of answer their concerns if they have them about life in the Spirit. Because in many ways, I think that we can think of being filled with the Spirit as being invited into the community of the Trinity. And that is a community of love, the highest, greatest love. The love the Father has for the Son and the love that the Son has for the Father is a love more vast and, and far-reaching than any human love will ever know. And when we are filled with the Spirit, it's like they are together and they open up with an arm around each other and say, would you come into our love for one mm -hmm. another? Let our love be shared by you. Yeah. Whenever the, 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 the scriptures speak of that the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that's, it. that's the essence of the Spirit-filled life. It is a life of holy love. Yeah. And so why would we resist that? Why would we be afraid of it? Yes, of course. The love of God is going to overwhelm the human life. It's, we are not able to contain it. And so, yes, sometimes people may fall or rest or have all sorts of physical or emotional or verbal expression because it's just like an overwhelming of, of the human capacity. We can't contain this love. So, okay, if we can just say, okay, fine. But there's this deep, indwelling, filling life of love that then starts working itself out in our character, our healing, mm -hmm. our, our relationships, our trajectory, our vocation, our engagement of the Word of God. This is the life of God entering the human life. And so it would just, it's just, a, it's really a tragedy to, to somehow imagine trying to live the Christian life without the indwelling Holy Spirit. That last phrase, it's a tragedy. I mean, this is, this is to understand that the communion of the three in this holy love, that, that when we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we're invited into that communion. We're invited into that. We, we may not be able to comprehend it. We may not be able to make sense out of all of it, but we're invited into this amazing relationship of holy love that is so vast and so overwhelming that it goes beyond anything we can imagine. It's a love that goes beyond our ability to love. That goes beyond our ability to understand. It overwhelms us. And yes, sometimes people will give expression to that in ways that the rest of us may struggle with. But, but to be invited into that is to be invited in the most powerful place in all the ways we can live. I mean, it, it, it's this love of God that's that shared and the Trinity, I mean, it's, it's out of this love, God expressing this love, that, that God creates. 
God doesn't create because God needs love. God has love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God creates as an expression of that love. God sustains as an expression of that love. God nurtures as an expression of that love. God forgives as an expression of that love. God redeems as an expression of that love. God renews as an expression of that love, protects as an expression of that love, perfects as an expression of, the, as an expression of that love, and cherishes us, and cherishes us as an expression of that love. It's the place where the power of God is most fully present. When we are invited into that communion of the Trinity, that communion of holy love. And the great tragedy for us is when we try to live without it. We try to live without it. So uh, as we come through this, you know, Trinity Sunday and we're doing this, instead of, instead of getting stuck, you know, or high grounded on, well, I can't quite, you know, wrestle with this, make sense of it. Hear this as it, it's an invitation into the very love of God. It's an invitation to you to be indwelling in the midst of this Father, Son, Holy Spirit love. To have the holy love of God overwhelm your life and empower it and to bring wholeness to it and to bring healing to it that is beyond what you or I would ever be able to do or imagine. That this love is so powerful that it is incomprehensible. And this is what you are invited to. That's why the concept of the Trinity is important. That's why the concept is important. Because it is what defines this co-eternal, amazing, vast, holy love. So on this Sunday, I'm just going to invite you to, to consider some things. I mean, it, you're invited. This, you, you have been invited in this community of holy love. And the problems in your life and the, and the weaknesses in your life and the, and the places that need to be healed in your life, all of that is invited into this. And, and are you willing to accept that invitation and step into this communion of holy love? Let's pray. Almighty God, we come and we confess to you that our, our minds can't put all these pieces together. And, and, and yet in your love, <laughs> uh, we know that we are caught up, that we are overwhelmed, that all the peace that we seek, all the, the healing that we seek, that everything that makes life worth living flows from this love. So we ask that you, you come and just enwrap us in it so powerfully that we're willing to set aside our incomprehension and we're willing to set aside our struggles and, and simply be embraced by this community of holy love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.